You're listening to the preaching podcast of Victory Baptist Church in Roanoke Rapids, North Carolina, led by Pastor Jeremy Kobernack. It is our desire that you will be helped by this Bible message. Revelation chapter 3, we're going to finish uh, where we left off last week with this church at Laodicea. And we notice in verse 14, we'll start at the very beginning, under the angel of the church of the Laodiceans write, These things saith the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. I know thy works, that thou art neither cold nor hot. I would thou wert cold or hot. So then because thou art lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth because thou sayest. That's where we left off last week, verse 17, because thou sayest. I am rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing and knowest not that thou art wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. I counsel thee to buy of me gold tried in the fire that thou mayest be rich and white raiment that thou mayest be clothed and that the shame of thy nakedness do not appear and anoint thine eyes with eye salve that thou mayest see. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Be zealous, therefore, and repent. Verse 20, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come in to him and will sup with him and he with me. To him that overcometh will I grant to sit with me in my throne, even as I also overcame and am set down with my father in his throne. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. Our Father, I pray that you would speak to us tonight as we look at your word. And I I believe that all of these churches are so important. But I believe this church at Laodicea, I believe it is so, so vitally important that we heed these warnings, that we not become Christians like these folks had become. Uh, Lord, it's so easy. It could happen to any one of us. It's so easy to get comfortable. It's so easy to become complacent. It's so easy to just get relaxed and to become lazy in our Christianity. But God, I pray tonight that we would not be lukewarm Christians, but I pray that we would be Christians that are on fire and and fervent and zealous in serving you. Please uh, rekindle a fire in our hearts and in our souls tonight, and may we see you do great and mighty things in us and through us as we seek to serve you and please you here at this church. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. The Bible says in the book of Colossians, you don't have to turn there, It's interesting that Colossians chapter 4, as Paul is giving the closing to the church at Colossae, he says in verse number 12, he says, Epaphras, who is one of you and a servant of Christ, he saluteth you. And then Paul describes Epaphras to the church at Colossae. He says he is always laboring fervently for you in prayers. Now, we don't know a lot about Epaphras, but wouldn't that be something good that could be said of us? Wouldn't you like it if there was a preacher uh, or a missionary or an evangelist or, or someone that said, you know, 
that person at Victory Baptist Church, uh, Brother Wade, that guy, that guy at, at Victory, Brother Wade, here was a man that labored fervently. Wouldn't that be a great testimony? Wouldn't that be great if somebody would say, there's somebody that served God with some fire and some passion and some zeal? Well, I tell you, I'd like it if somebody said that about me and, and not just say it about me. I'd like for it to be true. So Paul commends this man, Epaphras, about laboring fervently so that the people could stand perfect and complete in all the will of God. Verse 13, it says, For I bear him record that he hath a great zeal. There's that word zeal, as it says in Revelation, to be zealous and repent. I bear him record that he hath a great zeal for you and them that are in Laodicea. Interesting. Paul is closing this letter to Colossae and he says, hey, Epaphras, he's got a zeal. He labors fervently and he's also got a zeal and a passion for the church at Laodicea. Then we get to verse number 16. And Paul closes out this letter to the church at Colossae and he says, when this epistle is read among you, cause that it be read also in the church of the Laodiceans, and that ye likewise read the epistle from Laodicea. Now, apparently, Paul wrote a letter to the church at Laodicea, and God in his wisdom and God in his omniscience, he chose not to include that in the canon of Scripture, the Bible that we have. But apparently, Paul wrote to this church at Laodicea. And not only did he write to them, but he said, hey, make sure the letter I wrote to the church at Colossae, make sure they get that read in their church also. But then we get to Revelation chapter 3, and we see the letter that was given to the Apostle John on the Isle of Patmos about this church at Laodicea. We see that there were a lot of things that these Christians never took heed to. You know, I wonder if maybe that's our problem. I wonder if it's not so much that we don't know and we haven't heard, but that we haven't acted upon what we do know. You say, well, well how does somebody be a good Christian? I think everyone in this room knows the answer to that. We know that. What, what, what do you do to be a good Christian? You read your Bible, pray, go to church, you love God, you serve God, you uh, forgive people. You ask God to forgive you of your sins. You confess your sins. You walk with God. We know the list. We know what to do. Just like I believe the church at Laodicea knew what to do. But it's not just what you know. And it's not just what you say. But it's how you live. And it's how you handle those things that have been given to you. Go back to Revelation chapter 3. And this is where verse 17 we're going to pick up today. Because Jesus said to this church, you're lukewarm and here's why you're lukewarm and here's why Jesus says, I'm going to spew you out of my mouth. Here's why you need to know you are in trouble and you don't even know it. Verse 17, because thou sayest, I am rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing. I don't think this church, I don't think they were lying. I don't think they were making it up. I think they were convinced that they did not need anything. They thought they had it all figured out. Have you ever met someone like that? 
and you wanted to shake them and you wanted to smack them in, on the side of the head and say, you need to wake up. You, you are headed for disaster. You are headed for destruction. And if you don't get some things fixed, and if you don't get some things straightened out, you are not going to have a happy ending. That is the church right here. They thought they had it all figured out. But Jesus says, not only do you not have it all figured out, you don't have any of it figured out. You're not even close. You say you're rich, but Jesus said, I know you're poor. You say you're increased with goods and you say you have need of nothing. But Jesus said, you're wretched and you're miserable and you're poor and you're blind and you're naked. I remember uh, I was thinking about this last week as we were closing and I didn't have time to get into it. And so I didn't try. But I was thinking about when my wife and I years ago, when we were traveling with the singing groups and we had a, a shuttle bus that we traveled with much like the shuttle bus that we have. And we took out some seats in the back and we had our luggage in there for the, the singing group. And we had a, a big rod we stuck up for our hanging clothes. And that was really, that was our home for 13 weeks of the summer. I remember one particular time we were traveling and we had just come through some, some of the roads in Idaho. Now, how many of you have ever been to Idaho? Let me see your hands. Any folks been to Idaho? We've got a few. Now, I did not know this about Idaho, but you know, there's a lot of mountains there, especially as you get over into the, the, the western part and in some of those remote areas. There's some mountains that you've got to drive over. But it's not interstate. It's not main highways. It's just, just that those are the roads you got to take. And you know, you know me. I've told you this many times. I hate heights. I don't like heights. And literally, I'm driving on some of these mountain roads where there's not a guardrail either. Not that it's going to do a whole lot of good when you got a big vehicle like that, but we're driving on these roads and we're driving along these edges where there's no shoulder, there's nowhere to pull off, and yeah, you're pretty close to a drop-off. And we're driving through there, and, you know, and I'm thinking, if we can just get out of here, I'll be happy. Well, we got out of there. And about a day or two later, we had gotten down into Nevada. And we were driving that shuttle bus, just, and of course, once we got into Nevada, it was just flat. It was nothing. No trees, no hills, no nothing. And we're driving, and it was, I think it was a Sunday afternoon, maybe it was a Saturday evening going to a church. But I remember where we were. I remember that, that area. And I remember hearing a loud boom uh, from the back of the bus. And I thought, oh, no, what in the world? And um, so immediately I pull off and uh, those back duallys, one of those tires blew. And uh, I thought, oh, man. So we, we kind of took it slow and we got to the mechanic shop and they looked at it and they said, oh, yeah, you know, we'll fix it. It's going to take this time or whatever. Well, as they're fixing that back tire... We're just kind of walking around the vehicle and, and I'm walking around the vehicle too, acting like I know something and I don't know nothing about vehicles. But, you know, you try to, you know, kind of kick the tires a little bit, you know, and tap the hood or, you know, whatever, you know, and I'm doing that. And we're just kind of looking and, and the way that there was some, uh, some sand or something on that, that road, uh, that, that, that driveway there of that mechanic shop, we were, we were looking at the front tires. And that mechanic said, he said, have you seen this? And I looked down, got under there, and I said, uh, no, I haven't. He said, I'll tell you what. He said, those back tires are the least of your worries. 
He said, these front tires, he said, at any time, he said, you could have lost one of those. And you know what I'm thinking? I'm thinking, I know where we were just driving a couple days ago. I'm thinking about those mountain roads. And you know, while I was driving, I was concerned about, you know, the the cliffs and the drop-offs and the heights and all that. I had no idea that I had tires that could have at any moment, they could have blown. And I would not have been able to keep control of that vehicle. And here's the thing I'm saying is that I was in danger and I didn't know it. And I want to tell you, there's a lot of Christians today that you're sleeping through alarm clocks spiritually. You're sleeping through warnings. You're sleeping through wake-up calls and God's trying to get your attention and God's trying to speak to you and you think, not me, I'm good. I've got it all figured out. I don't need anything. And can I tell you, you do need something. And if that's you tonight, if you're saying, oh, I got it all figured out, you're the one I'm talking to. Because this church at Laodicea, they thought they had it all figured out. And they said, literally, we have need of nothing. And Jesus said, you need everything. You are spiritually bankrupt. So we see, number one, we saw in this passage, their deeds, their deeds made Jesus sick. Number two, the disgust. He said, I'll spew thee out of my mouth because you're lukewarm. Number three, we saw the danger. This church, they thought they had it all together, but they were in desperate need of help from God. Number four, we see the decision. Verse 18, the decision. Jesus presents to this church and he says, I counsel thee to buy of me gold tried in the fire. Now, I don't know what your, I don't know what your financial backgrounds are like and all of that, but I would imagine, I would imagine this like you're sitting down with a financial advisor and you show that financial advisor, you show him all that you've got in the bank and your, your assets and all of that. And the, the financial advisor says, well, I'd recommend you invest here. I'd recommend you invest here. I'd recommend you do this. Well, here is a spiritual financial advisor named Jesus who is saying, I would recommend that you stop spending so much of your life on things that don't really matter, like the physical and the temporal. And I would recommend that you start living your life for something that truly matters. He says, I counsel thee to buy of me gold that is tried in the fire. Gold tried in the fire in the Bible. It is a picture of that which has spiritual value. Remember what Job said when he went through trials? He said, Lord, I know that when you have tried me, I shall come forth as gold. Yeah, he was tried in the fire. 1 Corinthians 3, the Bible says that our works will be tried. They will go through the fire to determine of what sort or what manner, what, what quality they are. And the wood, hay, stubble, that'll be burned up. That'll be gone. But the gold, silver, and precious stone, that will be purified and that will, will, will come through the fire and that will be what determines our spiritual reward, what we get at the judgment seat of Christ. And Jesus tells this church, he says, I, I counsel thee, I, I'm advising you that you examine what really matters. Did you know that in life, many times it's trials and it's testing that cause you to step back and evaluate what's really important. It's amazing to me when I'm 
visiting with somebody in a hospital. Somebody's got cancer. Or I'm visiting with somebody in a hospital getting ready to go into surgery and not knowing if they're coming out of that surgery. It's amazing how the conversation is very different than it is sitting at the restaurant chit-chatting. It's amazing how that all of a sudden it's like our whole life comes into perspective. And, and what really matters in life, all of a sudden, it is like laser focus. And I want to tell you, the things that we waste our time on, the things that we live for so much, uh, the money, the bank account, got to have a nicer house, got to have a nicer car, got to have better toys, got to have this. That stuff's really not going to matter in eternity. But I tell you what is going to matter in eternity. What happened Monday night when nine men, young men walked this aisle and came and went to the fellowship hall with a personal worker and they trusted Christ as Savior. I tell you, that's going to matter. I tell you, what, what matters is Tuesday night when seven young people walked the aisle and went to the fellowship hall and a, a personal worker took a Bible and showed them how they could be saved. I'll tell you what's going to matter in eternity. The Bibles that are printed and the Bibles that are distributed in the Philippines and around the world where people can get the word of God and people can be saved and grow and tell others. I tell you what's going to matter in eternity. Your prayer life's going to matter in eternity. Your Bible reading. I promise you, you the investment you have made in your children and the, the investment you make in your grandchildren spiritually, that's what's going to matter in eternity. Not how many home runs somebody hits. Uh, not uh, the, uh, a GPA or, or, or not a, a scholarship. I'm not against those things. But I'm just saying those things are temporal. What matters is that which is eternal. And Jesus says, I counsel thee to buy of me gold that is tried in the fire, that thou mayest be rich. He said, and also that you have white raiment, that thou mayest be clothed. In the Bible, white raiment always speaks of a, a spiritual clothing. This term, uh, uh, white raiment, is found in Revelation chapter 3. Go back a few uh, verses to verse 5. He that overcometh, he that is victorious, the same shall be clothed in white raiment. The Bible says in Revelation chapter 4, in verse number 4, And round about the throne were four and twenty seats. And upon the seats I saw four and twenty elders sitting clothed in white raiment. And they had on their heads crowns of gold. Jesus is saying, you need some garments that are spiritual. You need some garments of righteousness. You need some garments that, 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 that show what really matters. And that is what is happening. And that is what is taking place in heaven. There's a decision. Nakedness in the Bible represents humility. Nakedness in the Bible represents shame. Nakedness in the Bible represents defeat. But Jesus says you are spiritually naked. You are spiritually, you're a disgrace. You ought to be ashamed of yourself because you've been saved, but you've got nothing to show for it. I wonder tonight, I wonder how many years, if we went around, I wonder how many years have you been saved? Can I tell you, if you've been saved for 5 or 10 or 20 or 30 or 40 years, I hope we've done something. I hope there's something that has been accomplished for Christ. Say, well, we're not working our way to heaven. You're exactly right. But if you're a child of God, boy, you've got a different mindset. You've got a different outlook. You've got a different value system. And our lives ought to be lived not for here, but our lives ought to be lived for eternity. Jesus says not only that they buy 
gold tried in the fire, that they buy white raiment, that they may be clothed. And verse number uh, 18, he says, but also, he says, you need something for your eyes. He says, I counsel thee to buy and anoint thine eyes with eye salve that thou mayest see. These Christians in Laodicea, they were spiritually blind. Now, I'll tell you this, and I can say this because I'm not making fun of anybody here because I'm with you on this. But physically, if I don't have these glasses on, I am blind. As a matter of fact, we've got a big clock. I don't want you to make a habit of this, but for right now, I want you to turn around. I want you to look at that clock right there. That's a big clock. How many of you can see that clock? Raise your hand. You can see that, okay? Well, I want to tell you, if I have my glasses on, I can see that clock. But if I don't have my glasses on, I have to squint. And if I squint just right and I squint and I'm, and I'm holding my head real still, I can make out the time without my glasses. You know what that's called? Blindness. <laughs> that's called bad eyes. But can I tell you, my physical eyesight is important to me. I, I need that. I want that. Because that affects my quality of life down here. But if I live a long time down here, if I live to be 70 or 80 or 90, or Miss uh, Mary Hawkins, uh, a member of our church for many years, just celebrated her 100th birthday on Tuesday. Can I tell you, that's just the blink of an eye compared to eternity. And I don't want to just have physical eyesight that's good. I want to have some spiritual eyesight that's good. You say, how do I know if I have good spiritual eyesight? It's if you can see what is eternal, if you can see what is godly, if you can see what is spiritual, then you know you're looking at the right things and you're seeing what God wants you to see. And this church needed some, they needed some eye salve. They needed some eye drops because their spiritual vision was almost gone. Notice the decision number four. The decision they had to make on what they were going to buy, what they were going to do, how they were going to respond to the admonition that Jesus gave them. But then I see number five, I see the draw. It says in verse 19, Jesus says, As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Be zealous, therefore, and repent. Now, now think about this. Jesus is speaking to this church at Laodicea who is a lukewarm church. They are a complacent church. Uh, they are a comfortable church. And Jesus says, because of your lukewarmness, I, I feel like vomiting. I feel like, I, I feel like I'm going to have to spew you out of my mouth. But in verse 19, Jesus says, this is a church that I love. And that's the whole purpose of this letter. You know why Jesus is rebuking this church? Because he loves this church. He cares about this church. He doesn't want to see this church destroyed. He doesn't want to see this church experience judgment. He wants to see this church turned around and he wants to see this church get back on fire. He says, as many as I love, it is the love of God many times, that'll draw you back from sin. It's the love of God that chastens you. 
It's the love of God that disciplines you. The Bible says in the book of Hebrews that God chastens, God disciplines his children. And when you live in sin, God is going to chasten you. And if he doesn't chasten you, the book of Hebrews says it may be because you're not his child. So please, after the service, don't come to me and say, well, pastor, I've been loving and sin a long time and God's never judged me. Don't tell on yourself. Because if you are a child of God and if you sin against God, there will be some chastening. There will be some punishment. Do you think my wife and I, do you think we're going to uh, let our children uh, 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 do whatever they want to do and hurt themselves? And we say, well, no, we don't want to hurt their feelings. We don't want them to kill themselves. And we love them enough that we're going to discipline our children. That's what a loving parent does. Can I tell you, here's the problem. None of us like chastening. None of us like correction. That's why we are raising a society now that they won't listen to authority. But I want to tell you this, and I'm standing here as a testimony. I'm thankful that I had a dad and a mom that loved me enough to discipline me. I'm thankful I've had some pastors in my life that loved me enough to correct me. I'm glad I had some teachers in my life that cared enough about me to tell me, Jeremy, that's not the way you do things. You're going to ruin your life if you do that. I'm glad, and I know this is not politically correct anymore, but I'm glad I had some coaches in my life that were not afraid to get in my face and tell me that I needed to straighten up and I needed to get with the program or I was off the team. You say, oh, didn't that hurt your feelings? Yeah. But I was smart enough to know not to say it. I was smart enough not to go home and pout and tell mom and dad about how mean the coach was. Can I tell you why those people did that in my life? Because they loved me. Because they cared about me. Most people will leave a church as soon as a pastor has to correct them. You say, well, I don't think the pastor should tell me what to do. Well, you obviously haven't read your Bible because that's the job of a pastor. That's the job of a person who has been put in a place of spiritual authority. And Jesus says, as many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Be zealous, therefore, and repent. Thank you for listening to the preaching podcast of Victory Baptist Church in Roanoke Rapids, North Carolina, led by Pastor Jeremy Coburnett. For more information about our ministry, please visit our website at vbcrr.org. May God bless you as you serve Him this week.